Welcome to FOP Church Message of the Week. We pray you are challenged by the Word. For more information, please visit www.fhop.church. Turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 5. And I'm just going to highly encourage you to bring your Bible to church. Um, because my sister wants you to. <laughs> I, I'm all for using um, our phones and having the Bible on our phones, but I'm going to encourage you to bring your Bible to church. Um, today, as we're moving through the message on the mountain, uh, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5, and we're going to start in verse 43. Um, this is what it says, You've heard it said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be the sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you uh, doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is a wonderful passage in Scripture. I want to remind you the context of what we're looking at. What we're looking at is Jesus has shown up and he's declaring his kingdom coming to earth. And, and I just, for the sake of context, you should know that there have been other false messiahs rise up during this time. And people say, oh, that's the Messiah. Other Jewish people rising up during this time, claiming to be the Messiah. And they would come, usually uh, they would raise up a group. And then that group would turn themselves against the Romans. And then guess what the Romans would do? They would quickly dispatch of them, crush them, uh, and put their leaders to death. So you must... You mustn't think that it wasn't uncommon for people to rise up in that time and think, people think, oh, that's the Messiah. That's the Messiah. Oh, that's the Messiah. But Jesus, what he declared was different than any other Messiah, quote-unquote Messiah, that was rising up. What Jesus was declaring, we talked about this last week, we see it in Matthew chapter 4, which happens just before the Sermon on the Mount, but we also see it in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, where Jesus says this, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. And we looked at it like this when people are just moving along with their life and all of a sudden the kingdom of God breaks in. And I don't just mean the kingdom of God, that word that you've heard your whole life if you've grown up in church. I mean the kingship of Christ is coming into your life. Like we sang this morning, all hail King Jesus, meaning I surrender everything I have to the king. When the king breaks in, then I need to repent and believe his ways. I need to change my mind from what I think and what I believe and move towards what he thinks and what he believes. And we talked about it last week. You see it in James. He talks about the way we know if you actually believe something is you do things to show that. right? Not that doing things saves us, but doing things shows what we really actually believe. And here Jesus 
he makes a pretty uh, incredible statement. Well, not the first part's not incredible. He gives the thing we saw in the last uh, five. This is a, a series of six things that Jesus says where he says, um, you have heard it said, but I say. You have heard it said, but I say. And this is the sixth one. It's almost the crescendo, the climax of this whole thing. And this is what he says. You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemies. Now, nowhere in the Bible does it actually say, hate your enemies, like love your neighbor and hate your enemies. Although, definitely, I mean, he's quoting a passage in Leviticus here where it says, love your neighbor as yourself. Um, but the thing that I think, and we've all fallen into this, like, it's easy to love people who love you, right? It's easy to be kind to people who are kind to you. It's easy to be nice to people who are nice to you. And even though this kind of, this part of the sermon could have probably fit into last week's sermon, this is such a big topic and heavy topic that I actually pull it out by itself because it's hard to be kind to people that aren't to you. And it's hard sometimes to love people who hate you. Um, Jesus was approached by a man, actually, let's, let's go there very quickly. In Luke chapter 10. If we could flip over to Luke chapter 10. Some of you know this story. It's the story of the Good Samaritan. But for a moment, can we back up to Luke chapter 9, just before the story of the Good Samaritan? Because the Jews didn't like Samaritans. I'll say it again. The Jews didn't like Samaritans, and I know you guys know this, maybe if you grew up in church, maybe you don't know this, but in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, this gives you maybe a snapshot of the way even Jesus' own disciples, who were Jews, felt about them. In verse 51 of chapter 9, it says, when the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to, pre- uh, excuse me, to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? That's the response. Oh, you... Dirty Samaritans, you're going to reject Jesus? We're going to take care of this. Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and consume them? That's their response. Like the audacity. Like these guys were feeling it that day. And this is what happens. Verse 55, but Jesus turned and rebuked them. And they went on to another village. Like, Jesus is like, I, I, like, it must have been a bad rebuke because even Luke won't record what the rebuke was, right? He just said, but Jesus turned and rebuked them and they went on to another village. I, I, like, that's one thing I wish they would have elaborated on right there. What did Jesus say? Like, are you kidding me? Like, you want to do what? Have you not been walking with me all this time? This is the way that the Jews felt 
about Samaritans. But look what happens over in chapter 10, going to verse 25. It says, Behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Say inherit. How do you inherit something? Where do you get it from? Yeah, usually from your father, right? Usually from your father. He said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. So he's quoting the same thing from Leviticus there. And he said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. And he should have just left it alone right there. But this guy, this guy pushes on. But he, desiring, oh, excuse me. But he, desiring to justify himself, to justify himself. Man, sometimes we want to just justify ourselves. Like, it's okay for me not to like you because I have a reason. I can justify the reason I have a problem with you because you did something to me. We always want to justify our unkindness. We always want to justify our hate towards someone. And that's exactly what this man was doing. He wanted to justify himself. So what does he do? He said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? So I only have to love my neighbor And who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied with this story. A man was going from Jerusalem to Jericho. Say Jerusalem to Jericho. Jerusalem was a city where they worshiped the Lord. It was a place of worship. So he's leaving the place of worship, going out to another town. And it says he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest, say priest, this is a religious leader of the day, was going down the road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side of the road. The priest sees the man beaten there, and is like, you know what? I'm not getting involved. And if you study Jewish tradition, it would actually made him considered unclean. He would have gone through like a purifying ritual if he had to help the man. So likewise, a Levite, say Levite, uh, the best, parallel to today this would be just a the church crowd a christian right the church crowd a a known religious man i said when he came to the place he saw him and passed on the other side but a samaritan say samaritan this is someone that the jews don't like and this is a story about a priest who's a jew and a levite who's a jew and now here's the samaritan It says, as he journeyed, he came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he sent him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him and whatever you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said, 
go and do likewise. And what I love what Jesus did here was he changed the question. Like he didn't necessarily answer the question. What he did was completely change the question. Because the man asked the question, who is my neighbor? And Jesus never really answered that question. Jesus changed the question and asked, are you being a neighbor? Are you being a neighbor? Well, who is my neighbor? That's not the right question. The question is, are you being a neighbor? Who is, and who is the neighbor? The neighbor is anyone who walks into your path. Even if it's someone from a, a foreign land. Um, in 1973, um, professors um, Darley and Batson performed uh, a famous experiment, which is talked about in lots of theological seminaries across the U.S. every year. Um, it was called, the study was called From Jerusalem to Jericho. And what they did was they actually had these students write a paper on the Good Samaritan. They had to study it. They actually had half the group give a talk on religious living and another group actually prepare a paper and give a talk on the Good Samaritan, this passage right here. And what they did, they set up the experiment to where they had the students come to this one office and report at a certain time. And when they got there, they told them, they lied to them and said, oh, sorry, we changed the location where you're supposed to turn in this paper, where you're supposed to give this talk. We changed the location to this other place across campus. And then they told them, but you were supposed to have been there already. So you better hurry. Now, part of the group, they told them, well, you've got a few moments. You can take your time, right? But part of the group, they told them, you need to get there and you need to get there now. And along the way, through this alley they had to pass through, they left a man, an actor, who was beaten up and needed help. And they said some of these students with paper in hand about the Good Samaritan, some of them literally jumped over the man to haul butt to the talk they were supposed to give about the Good Samaritan. Because we're just in a hurry sometimes. They jumped over the guy. Love your enemies. Love your enemies. I want to read you something that struck me. I read this story this week. Uh, this man right here, his name is Chris Carrier. And when Chris Carrier was a kid, um, he was abducted and shot and stabbed. This is from the New York Times. It says, Chris Carrier recently went visiting an, with an elderly friend at a nursing home in North Miami Beach. He took along a pound of the friend's favorite smoked amberjack. He comforted the man and made sure he was warm and well taken care of. It was the last time he would see his friend, who later died that night. The friend was David McAllister. David McAllister was blind in both eyes, frail. He was lonely at 77 with no one to look after him. He had also recently confessed to abducting, stabbing, and shooting Chris Carpenter in the head 
22 years earlier. Chris, who is pictured right there, said, I visited him to provide closure for him. He said, the man wanted to say, I'm sorry. And he said, all I wanted to tell him was no harm done. Chris was left blinded and left blinded in one eye as a result of the shooting. But he did not say that he felt he had been permanently traumatized, adding that he bore no ill will towards the man who had kidnapped him and left him to die. He He said that he was sorry. His kidnapper said he was sorry, and I told him I'd forgive him, and from now on there would be nothing like anger or revenge between us, nothing except a new friendship. Over his last few months in the nursing home, Chris would visit David McAllister frequently in the nursing home, and they would often pray and read the Bible together. Love your enemies. And now... It makes me wonder why I get so bent out of shape about some of the stuff I get bent out of shape by. Like if I have a Christian brother, and, and just so you know, uh, Mr. Kerr, I mean, he's, I, he has a master's degree from Southwestern Bible Seminary. Like the guy loves Jesus. He studies the word. And he forgave the guy that abducted him and shot him. Love your enemies. And so who do you need to love? Like this is the outrageous kind of thing because this is the stuff Jesus is saying from the mountaintop, right? This is the stuff that he's saying that as we saw from a few weeks ago that when he gets done talking, he says the people are going to say their minds were blown. Like other messiahs were rising up in this time and saying, let's go after the Romans. And Jesus is rising up and saying, let's love our enemies. And he says, let's pray for those who persecute us. Pray for them. Pray for them. My dad one time told a story about um, when I was in seventh grade, this coach, um, for some reason, he just decided he didn't like me. I don't know why he was one of the football coaches. He decided he hated me. I don't know why. Um, uh, I think it's because I didn't go out for football. Look at me. <laughs> oh, my goodness. And so he had actually threatened to give me ISS for something really dumb. That's in-school suspension. For something really dumb. And it ticked my dad off really bad. And so he had words for the guy. And the Lord was like, no, you don't. You need to pray for the guy. My dad was like, no, I don't. So my dad went up the hill uh, out there on the property and began to pray for this coach. And guess what happened while he was praying for this coach? His heart changed. Not the coach's heart, my dad's heart. Like if you would begin to pray for people who treat you wrongly, you would change. Instead of running your mouth about them or spreading whatever they've done to you, even true things to everyone around you, like this is what they did to me. Instead, what if you shut your mouth and took those to the Lord and prayed for them? 
And also, while your heart is changing, maybe God might answer some of those prayers. But also, your heart's going to change in the process. And what I love so much about this section of Scripture is, and I've read this so many times, but it didn't really sink in until the last couple of weeks. It says this in verse 45, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. I'll say it again. So you could, like, you need to, to love your enemies. You need to pray for those who persecute you so you can be a son. So you can be a son. Um, here's a picture of Kai. I didn't know you were going to be in here. I thought maybe you'd be in children's church today. But you didn't ask. So I was going to let you go today, but you didn't ask. So um, uh, this, is, this is the day she was born, right? And what do we often say about kids? We're like, oh, who do they look like? Or, oh, my gosh, they look so, like they're, so much like their dad. Or they look so much like their like, like naturally, in the natural, kids look like their parents. And some way look like their parents. People are always telling Jamie she looks like mom. Um, but kids look like their parents. Kids act like their parents. Like they pick up mannerisms of their parents. Like sometimes I'm hanging out with different kids. I'm like, that's totally, that's totally what their parents are like. I totally hear their parents in them. We're like our parents. And as Christians, we're supposed to be children who are like our father. So what's our father like? If you're truly his son, if you're truly his daughter, what is our father like? If he's truly your father, what's he like? Well, it says this. It says, he makes the sun shine on the evil and the good, and he makes it rain on the just and the unjust. So, so not Drew. If Drew was God, I'd be like, you know, in the cartoons where sometimes the guy's walking along and he has the cloud hanging over him, it's raining on him, and then he moves and the cloud moves with him, right? You've seen that, Right? That would be us if we were going like, oh, you did really good, so I'm going to let the rain fall on your crops, but you've been a jerk, so drought for you. Every day the sun comes up and it shines on the just and the unjust, and that's God's doing. And when it rains, it rains on the just and the unjust, and that's God's doing. What it's saying here is your father, he's kind to people who are good, and he's also kind to people who are bad. That's the character and nature of your father. And you're supposed to look like him. And some of us don't. Some of us are like, they were mean to me, so I'm withholding from them. And if we remember the passage we just read before that, it's actually saying if someone asks you for your coat, that you should give them the shirt off your back as well. Like if someone wants you to carry their stuff a mile, you should go too. This is the heart of our father. This is what he's like, and that's what he's calling us to be like. To be just like him. And then he makes it pretty plain. He says, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even tax collectors do the same? Remember, tax collectors, they were Jewish people collecting money for the Roman government. They hated these guys. They were traitors. They hated them. He goes, don't these guys love people who love them? Well, yeah, they do. So you're no better than them because you only love people who love you. And if you greet your brothers, 
what more are you doing than others? Don't even Gentiles do the same? And Gentiles were non-Jewish people who were less than them, right? Even the Gentiles give a, and the greeting was a greeting of, of well, God's favor is upon you, right? But I'm only going to be kind to people who are kind to me. But even unsafe people do that. Even people who don't know Jesus do that. And yet there's supposed to be something different about the about us and can i tell you i don't know how many times like growing up in a pastor's home myself as a kid where and and i thank god that i haven't ever experienced this this kind of thing um being a pastor myself but i've seen my dad like different people in the church come against my dad and come against him hard and with tenacity like and I've seen us sit around the dinner table. And most of the time, my parents were very good about protecting us kids. They, they never wanted us to know all that stuff that was going on. They did want us to have a bad view of church or the people of God. So they'd protect us from it. And so somebody could be bad-mouthing my dad, and we would think they were awesome. Because we never knew. Because my dad was like, we're not going to do that. But finding out that different people were coming against my dad. And sitting down at the dinner table and being angry. Being angry as a teenager that these people were attacking my dad and we'd start in i can't believe that and they were just wrong they're not even acting like christians i can't believe they would do that and my mom being like stop we're not doing this this is not who we are we're going to love them we're going to pray for them and we will not badmouth them in this house That's my mom, y'all. Woman of God is what she is. We will not badmouth them. And if you mention that person's name in this house, it better be something that's life-giving. Convicting much? Yeah. That's my mom. You, you don't think for a second that in her something didn't rise up that someone was trying to tear down her husband. That's her husband. And what's her choice? Now, I'm going to show my kids that we love people no matter what they're doing to us and our family. What are you showing your kids? What are they hearing from you when people come against you? Well, you know, they're always this way. Oh, I knew they would do that. Oh, you know, all the things we say and all the things we do. Try to make people look bad in their eyes. What if we just stopped, shut up, and prayed? At the end of this, it says, You therefore be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And this one's always fun. You need to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. How many of you always heard, No one is perfect? And then there's this scripture. Uh oh. Friends, we have a problem. You, therefore, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And, and then that's when people rise up and like, well, it doesn't mean like perfect. And you're right, it doesn't. It means like fully mature. You be fully mature as your heavenly Father is fully mature. It means complete. Probably a really great translation would be complete. You be complete 
like your heavenly father is complete. So it doesn't mean perfect. It doesn't mean perfect. Y'all, it doesn't matter what that word is. The comparison is you and God and that you should be like him. So whatever that word perfect means, if it actually means perfect or complete or mature, the level of whatever that word is, it's saying you need to be exactly what that is that's in God. So it doesn't matter what the word is because it's still the standard is still you be blank as God is blank. Yikes. Why? Because he's your father and you're supposed to look like him. Uh, Robert, are you around? Man, you can come up. And I'm almost done. I'm going to preach short today. One, because we have a little bit more praying to do. But Zach, don't go up. Where's Zach? All right. Zach, don't go up there. Because we're going to pray for I guess you can if you want. I'll let you do what you want, but we might pull you off the stage. Grab you, pull you off, lay hands on you, and pray for you. Um, oh, man. Romans chapter 5. I'm always going to turn back to this because... The greatest example of all these things is in Jesus. Like, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. What's the greatest example? We, I mean, yeah, that Chris Carrier guy, that's pretty incredible. But a greater example is Jesus himself. In Romans chapter 5, verse 6, it says this, For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. So I might die for you if you're good, if you're nice. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of god for if while we were enemies while we were what enemies we were reconciled to god by the death of his son much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life here's the reality without christ we are enemies of god listen to me and this is Probably partly a sermon for another time, but I'm going to say it this morning. Like, your friends and loved ones who don't know Christ, they are enemies of God. We, and of ourselves, we are enemies of God. That's our very nature. Well, no, I wasn't fighting against God. Doesn't matter. If you're not surrendering to Him, then you're an enemy of God. And what it says is that God's love it's so great towards us that while we were still jacked up and still selfish and completely self-centered and just wanted what we wanted at the right time, like God breaks in and dies for us, showing us what mercy and grace really are. That's our Father. That's His example. And it's not just a passive, well, I'll just avoid them and I just will stay out of their life. 
It's this active, I'm going to make sure you're blessed. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for you. I'm going to love you. And if you come after me, I'm going to bless you. In Luke chapter 23, like there's Jesus, he's hanging on the cross, dying, dying. And what does he do? He prays something very simple. He says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Like, Father, forgive them. And we're not going to launch too deeply into forgiveness this morning because that's another sermon for later during the message on the mountain. How much love does it take to be in the middle of being crucified? In the middle of the pain and the torment to say, I love you and I forgive you. Well, what if they don't accept my forgiveness? That's not the point. What if the situation doesn't change? That's not the point. Maybe it's so that something greater can happen because Jesus still ends up dying. Jesus still ends up breathing his last breath and all hope seems to be lost. And Jesus did everything right. You can do everything right and persecution can still come your way and it can seem like an impossible situation but God wants you to honor him in all aspects in every way why because you're his son you're his daughter you look like him will you stand with me close your eyes and just think on these things for just a moment here in a moment I'm going to invite you to come to these altars But this is my question. Do you look like your dad? Do you look like your heavenly father? When I say the word bitterness, what person comes to mind? What person are you bitter at? When I say the word enemy, what person comes into your mind? Yeah, there, there they are, right there. Yeah, that's them. Do you look like your father? Because we all know the story of Jesus doesn't end there. It doesn't end with him dead in a tomb. He raises from the dead and glorious triumph. And can I tell you, even you in whatever situation you're walking through, the Lord will raise you up, but it's going to seem impossible. It won't be the way you think it should be done or even could be done. This morning, I want to just take a moment and open these altars. If, if you need prayer, as you say, you know what? 
I haven't been loving my enemies. Maybe it's because you say, you know what? Maybe I'm not even really a believer because I harbor hate. I harbor bitterness. I, I own it. Like, I can't get over it. I keep trying and trying. I can't get over it. Like, I'm going to invite you to come this morning. If you, if you just need healing in your body or you just need God to move in a situation in your life, I want you to come so we can agree with you in prayer. We always want to take time to pray about anything you need prayer for. Let's just take a moment and wait. If you need prayer for you to come. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information, including service times, contact information, and online giving, please visit www.fhop.church.